listening to the Necropolis podcast, which is associated with hessianfirm.com and hatemeditations.com. Welcome to Necropolis. I am Jason, also known as Lone Goat from Goatcraft. Shelly is MIA right now. He had something come up today and uh, conflict, and uh, so he might be joining later today. So uh, we do have a special co-host um, guest today. His name is AJ Martinez. He runs a shop here called Propaganda Palace in San Antonio, Texas. Propaganda Palace is uh, mainly like a retro video game store, which you know that's really gotten really popular nowadays with uh, the nostalgia people trying to recapture their childhoods by buying Nintendos and things of that nature. And AJ has really carved out a great niche uh, business-wise with a shop selling that as well as a, a crap ton of vinyl records. Like uh, right when you walk into a shop, you're met with thousands of records. And then once you walk past the music room, then you have like the game shop and all that. So he's a jack of all trades here. Uh, merchant um, in San Antonio. So I want to thank him very much for being on the program, Mr. AJ. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me, man. This is fun. I uh, I have my own little podcast I do with my friend Timmy uh, that's called The Real Alternative Hour, and I uh, but I've never done one with you, and this is really fun. So thank you for having me. Yeah, and that's uh, DJ Depraved, correct? Yeah, DJ Depraved, correct. Very cool, very cool. So you have some experience with the podcasting stuff. That's awesome. And uh I know uh, our main guest today, which is uh, Mr. Brian Dowell, um, he is from the projects uh, The Majesty, Hersuit, Pursuit, and Throbbing Gristle, as well as many other endeavors. So I do want to thank Brian for being on the program today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Very interesting character, which I'm looking forward to just kind of picking your brain a little bit and seeing how uh, things unravel with... Uh, um, so. One thing is immediately when I started researching your music, granted, my expertise is in metal and classical music. And so that Boyd Rice episode is a little bit out of my foray, even though I do like some of his music, but I'm not an expert on it. That's why I have AJ on board today, because AJ is really into uh, quite a bit of that goth culture, and uh, he's a huge fan of Boyd Rice. So just kind of know start this episode on an easy you know familiar note you were actually the best man at uh boyd rice's wedding correct i was the best man at boyd rice's wedding and i was the maid of honor for his wife awesome double duty very very cool so you <laughs> very good friends of boyd rice um so boyd rice had actually recommended you after we finished his episode to bring you on board and i saw a lot of interesting things and you know Granted, the way I look into things might be a little bit different um, than most people since you know, my area's expertise is metal and classical, but uh, the, the project that really stood out to me the most was Pursuit, Pursuit. and uh, I did some research on that, which, you know, Boyd Rice was actually in one of the music videos for that. Um, so Pursuit, Pursuit was really like a, a, a gay music project, uh, like an industrial type of thing with a lot of homosexual imagery and things of that nature and i even read like a vice article on it and it's like it's like too gay even for like regular gays or something like that it's just like really <laughs> um it is your face yes yeah, <laughs> in your face i mean the name pursuit pursuit i mean it's like you're going after 
you know, uh, male chest hair, things of that, just the, the visual, the, the project's <laughs> name puts in your, your mind. And uh, so I, I looked it up and I saw some, you know, pretty gay things. Um, and uh, and uh, so I want to start the conversation just kind of talking about that. Like, how did you, you know, start that project? Is this, you know, personal experience? You know, are you gay? Did you want to just you know, have like this ultra gay project just to throw, or is it more like chaos magic where you wanted to take something that was taboo and just take, you know, go to the fullest potential with that? Uh, well, one of my friends is a, a guy named Harley Phoenix and he's the one that does most of the vocals. Um, and he was in my studio one night. We were, we were just hanging out and he said, I got a great idea. I'd like to do a, a gay dance project. And I said, Jesus, that's must have been done a million times. And he says, no, you get things like, you want to suck my, you want to suck my. He goes, I want to put my dick in their face. And I said, okay, let's do it. So uh, we started doing the project and uh, we self-released thinking we'll see what happens with it. And uh, it, it took off, and that the first album actually has a cover of "I Know What Boys Like" by the Waitresses, with one line changed. Um, <laughs> That's so awesome, man! <laughs> they they say I do my cat moves, and and he says I whip my dick out. And um, that's the the line that got changed. And then we decided to do a second album, and we started shopping it, and we shopped it all over the place, and we got responses everybody wanted to put it out if we removed the gay sex and we said that's the point of the whole project <laughs> <laughs> and uh, out of nowhere cold spring which is is basically a metal label they have a lot of metal people um was that cold spring cold spring in in england yes oh. i know uh, who they are they decided to do the second album which shocked the hell out of me because uh you know metal is pretty damn homophobic so i said great and they put it out and then um it took off and we started getting album of the year everywhere and all these people and, and we do shows and when we did shows 95 percent of the audience were straight couples and that kind of shocked us and then they'd run in the after our first show we did it, it was like a sexual frenzy in the audience. It was very bizarre. And uh, couples actually went into the bathrooms and fucked during <laughs> and after our show. And they said that it was the most, that we brought masculinity back to music. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> I, I, I should put a disclaimer that this might be another controversial episode. <laughs> um, just throwing that out there. Um, well, so, the, yeah. The, the funniest the imagery, the imagery of like all the bondage and stuff that I saw a gay man on stage. And I think even that Vice article, like the writer was gay of that. And he was like really interested in like a, a gay performer there, some of that, something like that. And so you really, really encapsulated what gay is in the public consciousness like uh gay uh parades where there's men dressed in bondage you know and there might be like a sodomy bush and things of that nature <laughs> and uh um and you really captured that imagery with the the music and all of that so um so you did two albums with that project correct three actually in the 12 yeah. inch and then boyd ended up uh there were there was a remix of boyd's track that came out as a 12 inch 
because he right. did David Bowie's Boys Keep Swinging. And you knew there had to be a 12 inch in there somewhere. There had to be a 12 inch in there somewhere. <laughs> Harley insisted. <laughs> Maybe a 12 but, centimeter. But the weirdest thing is, I mean, after we did it and uh, after we did the second album, Boyd's fans started writing to me and started threatening my life. Oh, boy. For, for um, involving Boyd in a gay project. That's crazy. Um, one thing that you had mentioned offline with me when we were just kind of just chatting, just to kind of get a feel for, you know, what this episode would be shaped around, you know, just talking about your interests and, you know, where I'm coming from with the podcast. Um, you mentioned that the gay canceled out the Nazi when he did uh, shows of non, correct? Yeah, we actually, it's funny. We had a lot of weird experiences. We, we uh, submitted it to RuPaul's management company who said, we want nothing to do with that. It's too, it's, it's got too much masculinity. And I was like, um, believe it or not, gay people, there are masculine gay people. There are also feminine straight people. So, sure. but yeah, they totally blew us off. And with Boyd, we did a bunch of shows together. Um, and we had subsequent to our shows. I mean, they went smoothly. We had great audiences. We had great reviews. Uh, but the funny thing is right after us, he went on tour and shows were canceled because they were, um, because of the, you know, his political affiliations, I guess. Um, anyway, that his shows were canceled. And so when we asked why nothing happened with us and they said they were afraid to touch it because of the gay, they didn't want to. They didn't want to start protesting it because then it looked like they were protesting gay. That's really <laughs> it's like, well, this thing goes against our sensibilities, but then it has like a, a demographic that's historically um, prejudiced against. Their yeah. Can't touch that. That's really strange. Like um, it was very bizarre. Yeah. And uh, just kind of getting what's that um, like Boyd, like, you know, I, I had done some research on him and I, I had heard his music throughout the years because he's really on the periphery of metal as well, um, which if you listen to that episode, we, you know, there was the Atron cover of uh, Total War and things of that nature that Boyd has always been kind of on the periphery of the metal subculture, um, whether yep. he likes it or not. I mean, it's just this just personality is like puts him plus his affiliations with, uh, you know, occultist stuff and Satanist groups and things of that nature. Um so it's really interesting. I thought, like, immediately when I saw that video of Boyd Rice with the Hirsute Pursuit, um, I thought it was chaos magic. So do you, do you guys practice, like, chaos magic, or is it just, like, you were trying to do, like, sensory overload with a certain things, such as uh, the gay culture of that project? Well, we were just, uh, we would just, it had, that project actually has nothing to do with magic. Um, if you look me up a little bit you'll find that i did an album called golden dawn which is golden dawn magic and the entire um album was with my band loretta's doll uh but it was it was all magic um and it was all golden dawn magic i'm more hermetic than i am chaos i see yeah we've had some interesting guests on this uh podcast we've had a uh, um we had a uh, Michael Ford, who was the founder of the Greater Church of Lucifer. He was also in uh, uh, the Temple of Set. 
and now he's in the Order of Phosphorus, and he's like the leading figure for uh, Luciferianism. He just happens to have a really great black metal project called uh, um, Black Funeral. And uh, so you're more into like the hermetic type of, uh, so that would be more like Gnosticism, correct? Uh, it has some some things of Gnosticism. Um, it it takes it basically takes all the um, the mysticism from the different religions and puts them together into a process of spiritual growth. I see, and so it's really like uh, whereas in perennialism and philosophy encompasses like universal truths through various religions and philosophies around the world. Um, this is more like the occultist type of take on that through finding different. I would say I, I studied golden dawn for a really long time and golden dawn started in the 1800s and uh, with golden dawn, one of the great things about them were men and women raised to the same ranks. There was no, there was no separation and another thing was they said if you know try this they would they would they give you teachings in the top was and the different things and they say try this and if it doesn't work for you try something else so there's no there's not as many dogmas attached to it which i liked it wasn't Alistair crawley kicked out of that yes he was actually yeah i think i saw something on that um so um you're a fan of crawley correct I, I know who he is. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm aware of him. Yeah, I, I've looked into him a little bit. I'm not, you know, a Carly expert. I think Boyd Rice, you know, is more fluent in that than I am. But uh, um, so it's really interesting. Like, uh, that was kind of like a hellfire club for occultism where you bring in, you know, different influential types of figures in society and bring them into this occultist group with, you know, different uh, ideas and they're able to synthesize that. That's my take on that. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so very cool. So just kind of getting to the esoteric and occultist, you know, outlook that you have that you study the golden dawn for so long. Um, you had done a William Blake project um, that's still unreleased and you had reached out to numerous projects um, one being uh, Coil, which I know Coil is AJ's favorite band, and uh, and with that you had uh, you had set you know certain perimeters for these projects to work around, uh, like with the songs of innocence and songs of experience, you know, the lamb versus the tiger, all of that. Um, but you wanted it to be very dark. So how how did that project come about, and is there any hope for it ever being released? I certainly hope so. I actually asked um, all my favorite musicians that either I worked with or I just admired if they would like to do a track. Uh, the rules were it had to be under six minutes. The words, you could not change the words, and they had to be clearly heard and understood. And that was it. And um, I got some amazing tracks. And I thought it would be the simplest thing in the world to sell to a label to put out and three of them agreed to at different points and then they all backed out i actually have an unreleased coil track um wow. which they did just for the compilation i have uh john murphy if you know who john murphy is he did shining vril he's now dead he's on it i have athenor who's now dead who's on it i have the majesty with Lady J and Jen, unreleased, 
I, wow. I have so many different tracks that are totally amazing. I have one track. I don't know if you know who Rose McDowell is. Yes. Okay. Rose did um, a track on it. She did Little Girl Lost, and she did. It's the only track she played every instrument and did all the vocals on ever. And it's one of the most beautiful tracks I've ever heard. And the voice of an angel, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's it's the stuff I have is absolutely amazing and unbelievably. Every time I try to put it out, something blocks it. Yeah, and that's, I don't that's, know why. Have you thought about self releasing that? I'm I. I think that would be incredible. <laughs> I would love to release it, but I just don't have the money. So I, I was, yeah, I'd love to release it as a vinyl because it's really, I mean, the tracks are really, really gorgeous. It's, um, I was, I was shocked by the contributions I got. And so, several of the tracks have been released by the artists because I'm talking about it. Uh, this is, you know, going back about 15 years. So, um, some of the, some of the artists released their tracks, which I don't blame them because it's been so long. Um, but, and they were both from all the tracks are from songs of innocence and songs of experience. And there are even amounts for each and every artist got to pick their own track. So what drew you to that, uh, work by William Blake? Um, was it just the, the poetry resonated with you or like what? Like what, what was the uh, I, factor to I, the project, you know, around that? I think it's every teenager's dream. They all go into Blake. Everybody goes into Blake. It's either the imagery or the poetry. Yeah. I, I mean, when you, when you, when you, when you're young, you're exploring a lot more than you would do when you're older. So I think a lot of younger people explore Blake. Right. Yeah. Well, so are you mainly into like a uh, romanticist types of figures like William Blake? I know Boyd Rice uh, is a big fan of uh, Lord Byron. Um, so was that just something that just resonated with you? That type of romanticist figure like William Blake, like he was a very progressive guy back in his day. Like uh, he essentially wanted equal rights for men and women. And uh, you know, he kind of went against the church a little bit with some of uh his theology constructed with Urzen and all of that, um, and a marriage between heaven and hell. I know you've read that, and uh, well, it was kind of hints at non dualism. It's been quite a while since I've delved into uh, Blake. I did a project about him as well, but um, it was kind of a a really like a progressive type of figure back then. I should say, especially you know his involvement with the church and all that. Um, he was just you know just just pure creative genius you know both with poetry and the visual arts and and even with theology as well like he, he found you know uh things about you know christianity that he didn't really like that much and he presented satan in a better light than you know how satan is you know represented in modern day christianity um like that painting satan in his original glory and things of that nature so uh so you, you just saw that it was just something that you've always known that you just wanted, you know, to put into musical form, essentially. I just, I never understood why no one else had done it. They're literally called songs of innocence and songs of experience. So I never understood why nobody turned them into songs. I think it's an awesome 
brilliant idea. I don't understand why these record labels wouldn't want to pick it up. I'm thinking about how can I finance you? <laughs> I'd love it's, to see I, it happen. I, I mean, they're amazing tracks. I mean, the coil track is just like, oh my God, you know, and, and yeah. nobody's heard, you know, and I, I guess some, it has been leaked some places that some people have heard it, but um, for the most part, people haven't heard it and it's a great track and it's the rose. They did the roads. Wow. Very cool. Um, but it's, it's just amazing how many people off of it are now no longer with us. Right. Maybe everybody has to die first and then they'll release it. <laughs> then it'll get released. It'll, <laughs> it'll be released posthumously of me, I guess. Yes. That's crazy. So with uh, some of those artists using some of those tracks, are you going to run into legal issues with licensing um, if you were to release it? No, if actually um, a couple of people like uh, Tony Wakeford of Soul Invictus, he did a track and he released it. And I said, oh, damn, because I really wanted everything to be exclusive to the album. So he did another track for it. Wow. Very cool. Um, so I, I think just by contacting them and asking them if they'd like to do a different track, that it would it would be quite easy to do. And And I think everybody that was on it wants to be on it because of everybody else that's on it. Right. Yeah. It seems very, uh, like a legendary release, honestly. Um, um, especially having, you know, like coil, I mean, that would move, you know, units immediately. Just some of the, the projects involved with, the the concept album. Um, so it's crazy that it's still, you know, sitting there gathering dust and who knows when it'll be released. I know AJ is really, really, wanting to hear that especially that coil is his favorite band um so aj you have quite a few questions for mr brian um if you want to sure. jump in here sure, man. uh so first thing i'd like to ask is uh, i'm i hope i'm not being too forward here when i say this but if you cannot get the financing elsewhere i would love to help you release that i would be ecstatic to to help make that uh come out and and uh and actually be something available uh, I'm a huge uh, record nerd as well as video game nerd, as my friend mentioned earlier. Uh, I've been collecting uh, vinyl for the last 37 years. I have all kinds of music. I'm I'm into er just about everything, really. But here recently, I've really kind of gotten into the neo-folk stuff. And the in I've always been an industrial rivet head and, and all of that. Um, I don't know if if there's anything that I can do to help make that happen. But if there is, I'd be more than willing. And if, uh, if the only thing stopping it is money, I could probably come up with money to help you. Just let me know, please. Uh, let, let's talk after the show and, and maybe you can include a Vectrex. <laughs> <laughs> I have Vectrexes actually. I'm, I'm shocked. You know what that is. That's awesome. That's so cool. When, one night when we were in the, uh, we, we had a studio in midtown Manhattan and we would be there all night long and, uh, we'd see the sunrise and, there was a hallway and next to the church and and that was my first time seeing a vectrex and let me tell you smoking weed and playing a vectrex while you're doing music <laughs> is god <laughs> yes. it's so much fun i love the vector graphics on those they're they're so unique they're like nothing else from their era oh they're sick yeah i had a lot of fun with that i don't even know what happened to that machine but that was a lot of fun <laughs> that's cool 
So, yeah, I have a couple of them at the shop. If you ever make your way to San Antonio, you're welcome to come and see them. And uh, maybe I can uh, donate one to the cause for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, um, so I, as he mentioned, am a big Coil fan. I pretty much have just about everything they've ever released, including some of the stuff I probably shouldn't have paid that much for. <laughs> as, as many have. Yes, but it's incredible. Um, I also know that... Uh, uh, speaking of Boyd Rice, uh, he had worked with Coil early on uh, before they were actually even called Coil. They were just extras at that time from uh, basically Psychic TV. Uh, right. And they, they worked with him uh, on a project called uh, Sickness of Snakes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I recently picked that up because I didn't know about that. I did a little bit of research, found out what it was. I loved it. I realized that that was the first time that Boyd Rice had worked with them. And uh, then they, of course, after that, shortly left and started doing uh, coil-related projects. Uh, I know that you've worked with them in the past. I know that with Pursuit Pursuit, you uh, you actually had a couple of tracks that uh, that you did with uh, Sleazy. Yeah, that was the funny part about that is Sleazy wouldn't work with me. Why not? <laughs> because I because I work with Jen. Oh come on! <laughs> a dead serious. Dead serious. Sleazy would not work with me because I work with Jen. Sleazy and I got along great, but Sleazy wouldn't work with me because I work with Jen. So he worked when for that project, he actually went through Harley. Wow. And then the fact that I was on it turned out to, he learned later and that was okay, but he, he really wouldn't work with me because of Jen. There was a lot of it. A lot of animosity in this scene, like a lot of serious animosity in this scene. So, um, yeah, I met Sleazy when they were playing, when The Majesty and Coil were playing in Barcelona at the Sonar Festival. And I ended up hanging out with Sleazy and John for a while. But most of the conversation from John was about how horrible Jen was. Oh, no, that's sad. Yeah, it was very, very sad. They were very obsessed with Jen. It was. It was very bizarre. All of these people had been uh, uh, founding members of uh, basically uh, the original industrial man, Throbbing Gristle. And uh, I, I love all of the Throbbing Gristle stuff and uh, the, the Psychic TV and Coil. And to, to hear that they were always, you know, bitter and fighting with each other makes me sad. But I, I understand. I mean, that happens pretty much in any kind of uh, circle of, of people, right, over time. And and they're they're very large personalities. I mean, Genesis was a very large personality, and um, yeah, and Je and Jim needed control of every group situation. <laughs> if people were talking, Jen had to be in control of it. So I can understand it, um, sure. you know. And and. I mean, sleazy God. I mean, was there a more talented person on the planet? Yeah. Um, you know, and and play second fiddle <laughs> when when he was actually the talent. Yeah, I understand. He was you the know? guy that was actually making all the beats. <laughs> Gen Genesis was very much like David Bowie. Genesis was only as good as the people Genesis worked with. Right on. Yeah. You know, and and you know, like some Bowie albums suck, and that's. You know, it's because Bowie was working with people I didn't like. Yeah. You know, but he was very influenced by the people that they were working with. 
I, uh, I also love Bowie. I have a ton of Bowie music. Uh, he's one of my favorite artists as well. Uh, it's great to hear that you're a fan too. I know that you uh, actually did a, a couple of Bowie covers. I know you did the one that you did with, uh, with Boyd Rice, uh, with your band, Her Super Suit. But I also know that uh, I actually found footage of you on YouTube uh, doing your own uh, a Bowie uh, cover. Um, Life on Mars? Yeah, Life on Mars. That was really cool. I, I really liked that. You just deconstructed it, slowed it down, made it a little bit darker. I, I really dug that. I thought that was cool. Thank um, you. That's that's only out on YouTube. And believe it or not, the guitarist on that is the guitarist from Twisted Sister. Oh, my God. That wasn't you? I thought that was you. No, that's the guitarist from Twisted Sister. I'm just doing vocals on that. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, he's he, he was a huge uh, fan of McRonson. And um, so he, I asked him if he'd like to play guitar on it. And he was thrilled. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. So every time I would uh, try to do a little bit of, uh, of uh, video surfing on YouTube, trying to find out more about you, uh, I kept running into cool projects that you were part of. I saw a video where you were playing guitar, you yourself this time for sure, because I saw you. Uh, and it was uh, David J from Bauhaus, the bass player, uh, doing his cover of uh, <laughs> the little day, yeah, yeah. Dude, that was awesome. That was a lot of fun. I, 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 he's a friend of mine, and and uh, yeah, he asked if I he he saw me play with Jen and, and then asked if I would do a gig with him. And I was like, oh, absolutely. We actually have an unreleased track with David J, his son, Jen, and myself. Wow um that for the majesty there's a whole unreleased the majesty album yes I, I i think i was reading about that somewhere i also know that you actually did work with genesis not only on the majesty but you actually did an album with him called she loves that's on the old europa cafe label which you know if you're into the kind of music i'm into you see that label all the time as along with your uh your cold springs i got a bunch of coil releases that are on coil, cold springs as well so yeah i i I'm fascinated by everything that you're telling me. I, uh, I would love to, to hear this new music that nobody's even been exposed to yet. <laughs> I, I've played with so many, you know, it's, it's funny. I've had an amazing life. I've played with so many of my heroes. I actually, uh, one of my heroes, do you know who Michael Girard is? Yes. From, um, um, oh Swans. My God. Swans. Thank Swans. you. Yes. 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 And angels of light is this other project. Um, and, he asked me to play on angels of light and i was like oh my god yeah i would love to and, and i went in the studio and played with michael Shavar on angels of light um and the album came out and the first sound you hear is me on my guitar and i was like oh my god <laughs> uh, these things thrill me because they're my friends now but they were also my heroes yes absolutely i feel the same way i love all their music everybody that you've mentioned so far i think they're all fascinating in one way or another um, so I have a quick uh, question. I'm sorry to jump in here before we keep moving along. Um, so you guys had mentioned David Bowie um, offline. Brian had told me that he liked, you know, early Bowie a lot. Um, being that, you know, I'm primarily in the metal and classical, not really in the rock um, much, haven't been exposed to much. Um, um, my, my experience uh, with the, the hipster culture nowadays, like I was at Broadway 5050 here in San Antonio, Texas, and there was like hipster uh, bartenders there. And they're just talking about Bowie nonstop. I'm like, well, this is like really like 
they've co-opted Bowie. They've taken his name away from like the his roots, I, I should say, you know, like the early days and all that. Um, where I don't know what the culture is nowadays, but like they've really like taken Bowie and made him like a hipster idol. Um, so what are your thoughts of uh, David Bowie, like how his um, career, you know, evolved to the and what he is kind of nowadays in the mainstream consciousness? Well, now he's kind of like a god, isn't he? I mean, everywhere you look, he could do no wrong. And uh, I, I used to have the philosophy that he died after making scary monsters and they put some guy lookalike in for the rest of the albums. Mm -hmm. Um it could that's when i stopped listening to him that's when i didn't like what he was doing anymore um if you want to talk about bands being co-opted my favorite band from the time i was like nine years old is sparks oh, wow. and now you and and now it's they're like fucking everywhere and it's like sparks have you heard of sparks i'm like go away <laughs> yeah, they're my favorite band of all time. I know every lyric by heart. Yes, <laughs> no Sparks. But it's weird because all of a sudden they popped up out of nowhere and they're everywhere. Um, and I guess they've been grabbed by the hipster crowd too or whatever. Is Maybe I'm, I'm old because hipster is old now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they have some new term for it that we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> still exists but not as much as they used to i think a lot of hipsters they've realized that they can't uh live just on lettuce alone with their vegan, <laughs> you know soy milk and all that so uh probably some of them you know got back to eating meat and um dropped the beards and all that who knows <laughs> um so uh aj i know we have more questions i just wanted to jump into that uh bowie stuff before we just kept trucking along here no problem. I uh, I totally love Bowie as well. And uh, I understand what he's saying. Basically, at the end of Scary Monster Super Creeps, that's when he started becoming a little more mainstream. And that's when he actually started filling like huge amphitheaters. And he was bleach blonde and he was uh, basically like touring with Madonna and stuff like that. Before that, I'm not saying he wasn't popular, but he uh, he definitely had a little bit more of an outsider uh, look and uh his, his musical style was always unique. He was always willing to change and uh, morph into whatever he wanted to be. And I've always loved that about him. Uh, I saw him and Nine Inch Nails in 1996 at, uh, uh, what's the name of that place? South Park Pavilions in Austin. And that was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. And I remember some of the folks I was with when we were there, they were complaining, oh, he's not playing enough of the older stuff. And I told them, hey, He's only going to play a couple of older songs. He's here to support his new album. That's what artists do. They don't want to go back too far. They just want to touch on that a little bit. But, you know, to each his own. I, I always love Bowie. I love everything he did, even the later stuff. Uh, I'm not necessarily thinking that that's the best stuff he did. I, I agree with you that his earlier material was the better uh, material. But he definitely made lots of interesting music throughout his life. And I think... Uh, I actually cried a little bit the day he died. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, he's awesome, man. But uh, anyway, uh, so I know that you also uh, worked with David Tibet from Current 93. And I found that video, which cracked me up because it sounds like it's uh, samples of 
<laughs> wanting to talk to you on an answering machine and it sounds it like you're blowing them off <laughs> it is <laughs> you hear the very end of it yes uh genesis p orange shows up at the very end <laughs> that was awesome dude i love that 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 actually was, made me laugh and you've got a really good sense of humor that was funny it's that's a that's a, a play on uh, if uh I forget who did it. Some famous DJ in New York. He did a song called "If Madonna Calls, I'm Not Home," and wow, okay. and and uh, Tibet was in town. I actually I actually brought uh, Current '93 over for their first U.S. shows in in New York, and they were rehearsing in my in my rehearsal studio. They were using my instruments. They didn't bring any instruments, um, and Tibet was calling me constantly. Brian, I need this, Brian, Brian, Brian. So I just, I kept all the messages. <laughs> I just put them together and made a song. If Tibet calls, I'm not home. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, that made me laugh but, so much when I saw that. And I played it for my wife. She goes, she was like, I don't get it. Why is that funny? I go, okay, I guess. <laughs> You you don't know what this is. I do. It's funny, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's funny to a limited amount of people. <laughs> yes, sir. So I know that you also, as we mentioned earlier, worked a lot with uh, with Genesis P. Orridge, uh and his wife Lady J. Uh, yeah. I know that you guys did a lot of uh, work together at different times, but I know that you were actually in The Majesty with them for a while as well. What was that like, man? Well, The Majesty was Genesis and me. And right. and then and then anybody else was a guest, and, and that included Lady J. She was a guest, right? She wasn't um, on every track like you two were. She was just on a few things. Yeah, and and um, some of the things she wasn't even there for. Um, I have a track on um, a Psychic TV album called "I Love You, I Know," and it was she had died, and Genesis handed me a, a videotape. Um, of just Lady J, just tons of Lady J, and said, can you pull some vocals off of this and make a song? And that's when I created I Love You, I Know off the Psyche TV album. Um, but she was, I mean, Lady J was a nurse, and she was a really, really good soul. Um, my ex at the time had uh, diverticulitis and might have needed a colostomy bag. And she volunteered she said if you know if he needs a colostomy bag let me come over and show you and help him change it because it sucks to have strangers doing those things i mean who the hell volunteers to help change a colostomy bag but a good person you know right maybe a loved her, one or a family friend but wow that was that was very generous of her definitely she she was a delightful person and i loved her to death i mean she was really really nice and um before she died, shortly before she died, I was really into Super 8 film, and I liked shooting Super 8. I loved Kodachrome, and they stopped making Kodachrome. And I happened to get like 20 rolls of Kodachrome, and I, I was hanging out with her, and I said, you know, I can't, I can't believe I got Kodachrome. I'm so excited. I have to save her for a special project. And she said, make sure you save some for my funeral. And she died a month later. Oh, no. And I literally shot her funeral on the Kodachrome. Wow. That's very it, it, was, it was just very bizarre. And I had to use a camera that was 
self-focusing, self-light, because I was bawling like a baby, and I'm just standing there shooting. And then um, shortly after that, I dreamed she sang this song to me, and I woke up and wrote this and wrote out the song, and, and uh, it's actually on YouTube. It's I I put the song to the funeral footage, which amazingly was the exact same length. Wow. So a lot of weird stuff happened with Jay and, and Jen. Yeah, there was a serious connection there of some kind. If you're seeing her in dreams, too, that's wow. So I uh, I can't help but notice uh, I had watched a lot of your videos. I found a bunch of them on YouTube, as I said, and, and you were in a project called Boodle Boy with a gentleman named Edward O'Dowd. And uh, one of the videos that I saw, I don't remember the name of the track, forgive me, but uh, it, it definitely looks like it was shot with Super 8. Am I wrong? The one with, uh, it's got the, uh, what's the name yeah. of that guy? It's, yeah, it's kind of spinning around and there's little dinosaurs on her body and it's it's on a background that looks uh, black and white and stark. Yeah, it was shot on Super 8, yeah. Yeah, dude, that looked so cool. I, I, I put that on and my wife's like, what are you watching? I said, it's the, the thing I'm studying right now, Mr. Doll. <laughs> <laughs> this weirdo in, in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take it to that level, but yeah. <laughs> but no, that was uh that you're very talented in many ways, sir. I was also shocked to find out that you'd actually had a small part in a movie at some point and that you've composed a couple of soundtracks. I mean, I knew you were a mu musician, but you've actually made a, a couple of uh movie soundtracks. Um and uh what can you tell us about that? Um, well, the one that the, the, I guess the one I'm most known for is the one that um, I did a lot of the tracks on the, oh my God. Auto? Oh, no, I did. Uh, that's right. I did auto. <laughs> I forgot about auto. Bruce LaBruce. He's a very yes. nice man. Um, yeah. I, people just contacted me and asked me for songs for their films, like specifically for their films. You also did the soundtrack for In Between and, uh, of course, The Ballad of Genesis and Lady J. And, uh, you know, I listened to some of the, the music on that, and that was pretty incredible, too. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I really don't understand why you haven't been able to get that one album that you want to get released with uh, the, the Blake stuff. I, I, I don't get why somebody wouldn't want to pursue that. I am more than down. If you need the help, just let me know. Like I said, we'll talk after the show, but absolutely yeah i don't know i i it's a it's a weird world um it, believe it or not and the only money i have i ever ever see out of music is from mute and it's for one track that i did with genesis on a throbbing gristle album huh and the records we're talking about yeah or anything i don't i don't I don't do it anymore, but I used to do a lot of stuff for free. And now I'm broke. <laughs> so there you go. Well, you know, there's that saying, if you do something well, you should never do it for free. And I think the reason sure. that people say that is because if you do, they'll take advantage and they'll let you do all of that for free and not compensate you. And I think you should be very, very heavily compensated for everything that you do, my man. Thank you so much. I, I, that would be a nice thing. But um, I, I, like I said, I've, I've you know, I've had a great life. I've got to work with so many wonderful people. I almost got to do an album with Chris Christopherson. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, 
Wow, that's cool. So Chris Christopherson, he was a uh, country musician. Uh, I, I know him well. For people who don't know who I'm talking about, he was also the, uh, he was basically uh, in the Blade movie. He was uh, Blade's, uh, he basically like his, his friend. <laughs> he was, it, it's funny, I grew up, my, my parents force fed me country growing up. So some of it I, I took to. And one of them was Chris Christopherson. And I went yeah. to see I went to see him at the bottom line in New York and I'm sitting there. And at the time I was in a, a goth band. This is pre pre uh, I was in a band called the end. It was this goth punk band. So I'm sitting right under his nose, like right up front because there's tables and chairs. I'm sitting right there with this bleach blonde Mohawk that goes down to my ass and I'm wearing <laughs> leather and chains and I'm, and this huge bleach blonde mohawk and i'm sitting there staring at him and he comes out and shoots me the nastiest look and i'm like oh man i'm so pissed because he preaches don't you know don't judge a book by its cover don't judge and at the end of the set he watched me the whole set and at the end of the set he pulled me up on stage and he said i did something i i preach against i judge this man by his appearance and you sang every single song with me. And I said, I said, I'm a huge fan. I said, I grew up listening to you. I'm a huge fan. He goes, I am so sorry. He says, um, and he gave me backstage passes every time he came after that. We were supposed to do an album together. And then all of a sudden he started drinking again. Once he starts drinking, everything goes out the window. Man. Yeah, but uh, that, was, that, was, that would have been a huge coup for me. Dude, that's very cool. Yeah. I don't, I, I know who he is. I've heard a lot of his music. I'm not as big a fan as you are, but I was uh, definitely uh, also impressed to find out that you're a, a, a Hank Williams fan and that you actually did a whole album called Deconstructing Hank. And I listened to that. That was pretty incredible, it's, especially if you know those songs. What you did with them was magical. You once again slowed them down, you made them a little bit more simple. And uh, and your vocals, you've got a great voice too, man. I, I don't oh, understand. Thanks, why man. You should sing more often. <laughs> I sing all the time. <laughs> oh, do you? Um, okay. So much I of your actually, music that I heard was uh, basically instrumental, or somebody else was singing. I did, there's actually there's a project uh, called Hospitality on Parade, which was put out by um, the the Italian label that we talked about. Uh, that I did with Genesis. Uh, uh, Cafe Europa or whatever. Thank you. Cafe Europa. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I forgot that name. He's a very nice man. Yes. Yeah. He, um, I just lost my train of thought. The official name is old Europa cafe. If it matters. But yes. Yeah. And, and we did an album uh, and he released, he released a CD of it. It's called hospitality on parade. And I'm, singing and it's kind of it's the bubbliest things i've ever done it's the cheeriest things i've done <laughs> wow that'd be interesting to listen to then so that would you say it's the poppiest stuff you've done absolutely and i and i love i love good pop but yeah it's definitely the poppiest i think it's so pop that, that it's radio pop but other people look at me and go it's so dark <laughs> so <laughs> it's all perspective i guess yeah, I believe you, man. It'd be like Baja saying, yeah, we're going to make a pop album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my that's old band, great. Cool. 
my old band toured with when I had the Mohawk, my old band toured with Bauhaus. Yeah, you've been in a lot of bands. I was looking down your uh, your list here: uh, Murder of Angels, Fourth Sign of the Apocalypse, uh, the Boodle Boy stuff I mentioned earlier, Dream Into Dust, obviously uh, The Majesty. A Murder of Angels is a dark ambient project, um, and we released three albums of that, and uh, that I did with a man named Derek Rush, and it was just the two of us. Um, yes. We actually we actually did a tour with that too, and. Uh, when I got interviewed after it came out, I called it Dambient, and now all of a sudden it's a genre. So that made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so I created the genre Dambient. Well, our host here, Mr. Jason Kiss, he uh, his band uh, GoCraft, uh, they make all kinds of uh, music as well, and he uh, he termed uh, uh, he coined a term I'd never heard. Instead of neoclassical, it's uh, necroclassical. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> It's so, good compared to most of the great classical. They're all dead. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different interpretations of that, like chopping up, you know, like dead composers' music and rearranging it to just creating like a really metalized and dark, you know, like classically influenced type of abrasive piano music. So um, I did I did send a Boyd Rice a package. Um, we were just chatting offline and um be interesting to get his take on it. I, I don't know how, like, if you guys live together or close together or anything like that, but uh, he does have some of my music, the physical media of it. I think I also sent you the, the William Blake concept album that I did. Um, there's something that, uh, you know, going back to the, the Golden Path, I believe freaking uh, William William Butler Yates was a part of that, too. Are you? Yes, he was. Yeah, and... Uh, he was really against uh, how Ireland became Catholic. <laughs> and uh, he wrote a, this, like, almost like an epic. I think it was Yeats. And it's been some years since I've read him. But the story goes something like this, where the main protagonist, he goes off. Oh, it's kind of like uh, the Gilgamesh a little bit, where he uh, essentially gains, like, immortality, you know, venturing and going through different adventures and conquests. But uh, there's like some stipulation that like if he steps foot in Ireland, he dies or something like that. And uh, so he's off, you know, conquering the world for, you know, a couple hundred years. But there's something that uh, happens where he goes back to Ireland and it's something to do with uh, St. Patrick, I believe. And it causes the main protagonist death. I forgot the name of that poem, but um it's really cool stuff like that the golden path you know the more i'm thinking about that um there was a lot of really interesting people involved um you know that were against the 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 mainstream convention of christianity back then especially yates with how catholic uh ireland became um so that's really there were actually there were actually priests that were members of golden dawn catholic priests really i had no yeah. idea wow well, it's kind of like uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, who just like repackaged Aristotle. Um, I would imagine there would be like, you know, well, Catholicism, like you meet like a Catholic and they'll give you their interpretation of what Catholicism is. And then you'll go to another Catholic and it's almost night and day of what they actually believe in. So it's not like Protestants where in Baptists where this like, you know, every word in the Bible is truth. You know, Catholics are way more liberal um, with how they interpret uh the biblical sources so i i can see you know like a catholic you know being into occult stuff um even if you know it goes against their religion um 
Well, you're drinking the blood of Christ, so there's there's mysticism right there. Yeah, <laughs> the veneration for Mary, um, that's like Baptists would say that's, you know, blasphemy. Um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure, like, if you know much about uh, ba Baptists and, like, Protestants and all that, but I, I went to college here at a Baptist university, and it sit through all, like, Old Testament and New Testament by these two different preachers, and uh, Old Testament actually did pretty well in, because that's back when God was very wrathful, and it was way more <laughs> interesting, but the New Testament, holy crap, that bored the shit out of me, and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, well, what, one thing about Baptists that I never really understood is that uh, it, your entrance into heaven is like predetermined, like if you make it or not. So there's only so many people, it's like 170,000 people that are welcome in heaven. However, they, Baptist preachers, they want to be glorified in heaven. So what they do is they'll preach to people that they think aren't even going to be saved just so they'll be glorified in the afterlife, which if you look at that, it's very freaking narcissistic and egotistical <laughs> and all that. I have my qualms with Baptists and especially what I've been exposed to at university, but I just wanted to throw that out there. And, you know, it's kind of weird, like, you know, the golden path, you know, how um, there's Catholics there, but I can see Catholics being involved way more than, you know, Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I honestly believe that all life's lessons can be learned from the television show, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. <laughs> and that's the truth. <laughs> that was, that was my, I, I grew up with uh, a Jewish mom and a Catholic dad. So the Jews believe if your mom's Jewish, you're Jewish. And the Catholics believe if your dad's Catholic, you're Catholic. So I had first Holy communion confirmation and a bar mitzvah. <laughs> so I searched and I searched and that's when I found the satanic Bible. And that's when I started finding uh, LaVey and I started finding Crowley and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I found more answers in the television show, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. So how would you explain your worldview? Um, like, I, I know you've dabbled in, you know, the golden path and very esoteric types of things, you know, William Blake, you know, resonated with you. Um, how would you like convey what your, your personal outlook on life is? Oh, <laughs> My not necessarily like a metaphysical stance, like not getting that deep, but, um, you know, there's, there's people out there that can, you know, quote the Bible and you know without really knowing what it means like they just have yep. their own like interpretation of what these different verses mean like you look online on facebook and people are sharing different verses and things of that nature without understanding the context and what the message actually is so people tend to have their own interpretations of what things mean and like you know, being that you've delved into so many different things, you know, starting out with a family that's very religious, granted two different sides of that Abrahamic tree, and you have, a, you know, a lot of occult, you know, Satanists and just general esoteric types of influences, like, do you, do you believe there's an afterlife? Do you believe there's, you know, along the lines of that, like, what's your outlook? Like, is there life after death? Is there a greater purpose to life than how most people would uh, view it? I, I, my beliefs change all the time. It's like some, some days I think we're space seeds. Other days, I, 
think there may be a God. And then I watch something like how the universe works and then realize how insignificant we are and why we're worrying about this stuff. I don't know. It, it changes all the time. Um, I, I, I think I'm an atheist, though, <laughs> in, in the end of it all. I see. Yeah, there, nowadays, like uh, I know we had this discussion with Boyd Rice and, and on other episodes with different people who have been involved with the Church of Satan. Um, what the Church of Satan has morphed into today um, is essentially just atheists. <laughs> it's not, they're, they're not, you know, not a cultist. They're not really into, uh, you know, things as deep as you may be or Mr. Boyd Rice. They're just there just to use the adversary's name and just be atheists, you know, just LARPing as, a, you know, Satanists. That's my view. It's not like you look at someone like Michael Ford, the greater church of Lucifer, he has his own metaphysical system. He, he views that there is life after death, that your sole purpose, like one of your main goals is to maintain your consciousness after death, which that kind of goes along the lines of Gnosticism, if I'm not mistaken. Um, um, especially Stoicism, but, you know, there are some, uh, overlaps with Stoicism and Gnosticism, but uh, um, with Gnosticism, they believe that the world is essentially profane, and you know, there's death, there's suffering, there's all all that, and anything that in the materialized representation of reality is inherently bad. And uh, so it's kind of interesting that you just like one day it's like you look at how great the universe is and how small our part is in it, where uh, a Gnostic would believe that's all inherently evil. Like the, the universe itself, you know, the way it's represented is evil. You know, there's lots of destruction. There's lots of, um, and when it comes to life on here on earth, you know, like the extinction of the dinosaurs, if that was like a, a comet hitting the earth, you know, the, the universe is very nasty towards life and therefore it'll be evil. Um, do you kind of view things along the same lines of, as Gnostics would in that kind of, kind of framework? No, but I do think that Mother Nature is definitely trying to get rid of us now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, between the between the destructive forces of nature that are happening, my, I mean, I'm here in Colorado, and what is it, five hundred or a thousand homes just burned down, and we can't get out of COVID. I feel like I've woken up in the twilight zone. I, I it happened, I think, about five years ago, <laughs> and I think Mother Nature is just trying to kill us off finally it's like that george carlin bit where he uh, talks about that the only reason that the earth allowed us to become what we've become and for civilization to flourish was because ultimately it wanted plastic but couldn't make it itself now that it has <laughs> all the plastic it can handle it's it's time for us to go <laughs> <laughs> my house is full of orange plastic i love orange plastic <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. I, I just. Yeah, no worries. No worries. That's kind of a weird question to, you know, spring upon well, you. It was like, what's if I can, on life? <laughs> if I can interject, I, uh, I don't think anybody's going to agree with me at all, but this is what I believe. I believe we don't know enough about anything. I think the amount of information that humanity has acquired in the time that it's been around is a speck on a beach of sand. And uh, there's so much going on beyond our comprehension, and it's so complex, we really won't ever be able to comprehend it, no matter what we do, I think. So, I agree with you. There you go. That's a good one. 
Cool. Um, Mr. AJ, I have a couple questions before we wrap up today. Did you have any more questions for Mr. Brian? No, sir. I just wanted to uh, say that since we were talking about this. Uh, but anyway, yeah, no, go ahead. Do what you got to do. We're good. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, offline, Brian, you and I had talked about, like I talked, I said like metal has really been neutered and castrated and it's, you know, just been absorbed into like the mainstream like their take on what metal is and it's really like metal is like a countercultural thing um especially you know kind of in league with the music that you're involved with um you know very occultist industrial like groundbreaking industrial stuff even with a uh, pursuit pursuit um you broke a mold with that you went against convention to do that band and metal kind of did the same thing with really evil imagery like there's a satanic panic and metal went against that and he had like Tipper Gore trying to ban like metal albums and Twisted Sister. And uh, so metal, you know, it had its peak back when it was countercultural. Like the, the subculture of metal really went against convention. But once it got absorbed into the mainstream convention, it just lost its sheer power. It lost its gravitas. It just became neutered. And the same thing, you know, happens to other forms of music. How would you... Um, say like you know you, you're really involved with industrial and rock types of music uh, you have seen the same thing with your genres correct oh absolutely um I'm, i mean most people that can consider industrial think of wax tracks dance music and i never considered industrial dance music <laughs> but it it definitely got i mean you can look at it with punk i mean look at green day you got this little pop band that's claiming to be punk and punk was so kind of culture. Um, it was, it was against the government. It was against the mores of the world. And then it turned into green day. Yeah. Now it's part of the system. It used to be against the yeah. system. Now it's part of it. It's crazy. That's the same thing happened to metal. Um, you know, to, to a certain degree, not saying every metal band's part of the system, but um, and punk certainly most of those projects nowadays are part of you know embracing the system, embracing you know Dr. Fauci and all that. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Like once something becomes normalized and accepted, um, it loses its power, it loses its gravitas, it becomes it becomes mainstream. It becomes mainstream. Well, that I mean, you can look at that in the gay culture. I mean, look at how normalized. That you know they're adopting children and having a white picket fence. You know they're still hated. <laughs> they're still hated by so many people, but you know now they're normalized in there, and they're um, so the fight's gone. And and you you were talking earlier about seeing guys in in leather and stuff at um, gay parades and things. You don't see that as much. Yeah. Not that I liked it, but it, you know, it was a fight and, uh, there's still the, the same, the same prejudices and everything are still there. It's just, it's become pretty and, right. and normal, you know, they it's don't like have to be in your face anymore because it's become more normalized. It's become mainstream. Yeah, I mean, yeah. South Park and Mr. Garrison, I mean, every week is doing gay stuff. And that's, you know, hitting, you know, millions and millions of people, him and Mr. Slave. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just kind of, it just became normalized. I, I'm not gay, so I don't have firsthand experience. But um, this is actually my last question. It's actually... Um, it's a good segue into it. Um, I have met, you know, you know, gay people and had, you know, gay friends and 
Um, one thing that I noticed, I mean, granted, you take everyone as they come, right? Not, not literally, but um, as, you know, you talk to people, each person has their own take on life, their own, you know, personalities and outlooks. Um, so I always try to be really open-minded when I meet people, regardless of their backgrounds. But what I noticed, some gay men are highly, highly intellectual, like crazy smart. Like I met a guy that I didn't know who was gay and was PhD and wrote all this great stuff on philosophy. But then, you know, went out, had some beers and he had the, the earring in his right ear. I'm like, holy crap, I had no idea. But I, what I think that is, it's like, like if, you know, AJ has a wife, nothing to dock women or anything, but uh, I've been in, you know, long relationships and uh, women just really take up a lot of time. I mean, you have to keep them happy and that requires effort. And uh, some gay men don't have that element in their life. They're able to think about things more and be more nuanced and go more in depth with their uh, specialties like whatever their interests are so have you experienced that as well mr brian well it's funny because i would say that 99 percent of my friends are straight um i don't fit in gay culture uh you can tell that by the music i do um it, I, i've never fit in gay culture I've, I've never been into fashion i've never been into uh oh god i'm, I'm starting to ghettoize all gay people that's bad um but I've never been into I've never been into gay bars. I've never been into gay clubs. I've never been into quote unquote gay music. Um, I've always been into ex extreme stuff, and most of my friends turn out to be straight men. Um, like Boyd, I mean Boyd. Boyd's like my best friend, you know, and he's as straight as they come. And I don't know. I I I'm not a a big part of gay culture. I'm gay. I fully admit I'm gay, but I, I have very few common interests. So it's difficult for me to answer that one. I, I like fixing, I I'm into old Studebakers. I like fixing cars. I like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't have a lot of the, uh, commonality to hang out with a gay crowd. I see. I see. Yeah, it's totally understandable. You probably have more interests in league with uh, hetero people um, than uh, some, you know, at least I like the, the surface level of gay culture. Um, you know, it, it may not resonate with everyone, you know, especially that, you know, usually the loudest people in that culture tend to be a little flamboyant. Um, but then on the other side of the spectrum, kind of like what you're saying, you have straight interests like a, uh, like, I mean, I was rejected by RuPaul's management because I was too straight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, crazy. and it's, it's like, um, well, there you're being, you're being a prejudiced person right there, you know, and that's the gay culture being prejudiced against themselves. And I was never a pretty boy, so I never fit in. And it very much is an image conscious culture. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the bear community came in and all of a sudden I was called a bear huh? because I was uh, hairy. So that's why another reason we played with her suit pursuit. Yeah. The, the hairy chess. <laughs> so uh, um, just a random guy just jumped in my mind. Um, are you familiar with who Jack Donovan is? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, we have, we've actually chatted a couple of times, but he wants to stay away from me because of her suit pursuit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I he think I saw something about him saying that he tries to, he doesn't want like gay culture to be out in everyone's faces or something like that. And uh, yeah, it's kind of the antithesis of uh, his outlook as your musical project there. It's kind of funny, but something that was really weird um, with him and probably going to catch some flack for this, but he's a big advocate for the men's rights um, association where he tries to, you know, is a big advocate for men's rights. Um, and, but he's also, you know, homosexual. So it's just kind of weird that, I don't know what men's rights he's fighting for then. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's really strange. And uh, he wrote the, the book, The Way of Men and things of that nature, where it's essentially very tribal and almost like a prison gang type of tribal mentality that he has. So it's just kind of strange, a really interesting figure, which he himself is gay, but um, he tries to cater to like straight males with his uh, content that he releases. Yeah, he does. I, and and I know that uh, we stopped talking a couple of years ago, but he he was chatting with me for quite a while, and then um, he decided that you know, even though her suit pursuit was masculine, uh, he shouldn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. So there you go. I don't know. I I, I find people's views bizarre. I take people on a person by person basis. Um, I, my, one of my dearest friends is coming to visit me for my birthday in February and she's coming from Paris and she was a fan of Genesis and that's how I met her. And, uh, now she's like my sister and, um, she's a straight woman. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have many female friends. Uh, and there's my cat. Say hello to that. That's my, I have an autistic cat. So you do like the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have, an, I have a, a cat that was diagnosed with autism when she was a little kitten. That's crazy. I didn't know cats could have autism. Neither did I. I, I just found it. She was, she was a barely fit in my hand. And she used to sleep on my chest when she was that small. And one morning at four in the morning, I wake up to her standing on my chest and peeing on my beard. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's a wonderful way to wake up. And then uh, I literally have to, when I learned when she screams, she has a certain scream. That means, Daddy, take me to the litter box. And I have to go to the litter box with her and stand there while she goes. That's so, yeah, they, they do have autism. That's lunacy. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> she's, she's, she's 16 now. I've been doing this for 16 years. Damn. Really needy cat. Holy shit. <laughs> Mr. Brian, Mr. Brian, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been a great chat, and I want to definitely thank Mr. AJ. I know you did some heavy lifting today for the episode. Thanks, uh, AJ. Hey, man, it was a pleasure. It really was. I totally enjoyed. I sent you a face uh, Facebook friend request so we can stay in touch. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm going to play some Hursuit Pursuit at the end of this episode so you guys can hear a little bit of Brian's game music. Capital of the show. The clouds part for you. 
Work it out. 